0: 6, and we're going to be, again, 15 through 7, 6. We're taking a little bit more of a shot at it this week. Um, I want to clarify a little bit on what we talked about last week, and then I want to show us this section in chapter 7 that deals with marriage, and I want to try and pull them together so that we understand what the Apostle Paul, led by the very uh, Holy Spirit of God, inspired, is sharing with us so that it helps us in our daily walk, and so that it helps us to understand who God is better, okay? So that is our, our, our plan here. What I want to do is I want to read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 for you again, um, and that'll be our scripture reading for today. So Romans chapter 7 starts out this way, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. When he says that, what does he mean? Jews, okay? Kind of think of it this way. I'm speaking to people who grew up going to Sunday school, (laughs) people who know what the Bible says. In this Roman church, there would be Jewish believers, you'd have Gentile believers. For some of these Gentile believers, they may not be as aware of these kind of things, but those who grew up going to church all their life, right, synagogue, would be able to kind of explain and show them these things. Paul would be introducing them to these new concepts, but he's saying, hey, I want to take something that you've known for quite a while, and I want to share it with you. So he says, "For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, let's think through this. Each one of these is not little little pearls, okay? This is a string. This is a chain. This all works together in, in logical thought. So we want to understand... Why does Paul suddenly sit there and say that while you're alive, someone is bound to the law, but the law is broken? He's going to use it as an illustration. Verse 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. So in a marriage ceremony, we'll talk a lot about the marriage bond, that there is this miraculous, supernatural bond that God brings between a man and a woman in the middle of that ceremony that no one sees, and yet it is this amazing, powerful, beautiful, miraculous thing. I try to help couples understand that when we do weddings, okay? That that it, it's not about this piece of paper that the government's going to give you. It, it, it's not about you know, some of the freedoms that you'll have now in in intimacy in your relationship, it's really about this incredible marriage bond, okay, that that ties these two together. Now, let's follow the argument, though, because he's going to build on that. He's going to say, she's bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, what happens? She is released from the law of marriage. All right? So... Accordingly, verse 3, she would be called an adulteress if she lived with another man while her husband was still alive, right? That would be outside of marriage. To be involved with somebody else would be adultery, right? But if her husband's dead, right, if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So what he's trying to do is show you that death breaks the the bond that the law has put in place. It's important for us to understand that that's the key point here. He's informing slightly on this area, but he's using it as an illustration so that he can go on in verse 4, and he's going to say this, because let's think back in chapter 6. What did we find out? We found out that we were buried with Christ and raised to new life that we were dead what should we go what should go through our heads now wow if i died if my union with jesus christ that when he was buried when he died and was buried i died and was buried it means that the law there's this breaking with the law i'm no longer married To the law. So he's going to explain that in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. This is big news. This This is good news. He says you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. There's a purpose in this, isn't there? You're not just dead to the law, so that you have to do what the law says to do, but you can't do the law, so you end up perishing. You are actually separated from the law for a purpose. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. He says, He says, So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions... Aroused by the law, we were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So, when we were married to the law, instead of it actually having the power to make us better people when we knew what we were supposed to do and not supposed to do, it actually, we're going to see this uh, coming up, it actually churned up in us that little thought, that, that rebellious thought that sat there and said, Well, who says I can't? I don't want to do that. I want to do exactly what you tell me not to do, right? How many of us have had been around little kids where you sit there and say, don't touch that? And what do they want to do? You, you know her exactly because you're working with little kids, right, all the time. Don't do that. And what do they do? Immediately go for it. The second they hear the law, what do they want to do? They want to do exactly the opposite. Where does that come from? Kids are cute, but they're corrupt, right? Just like each one of us. So he says, Our sinful passions were aroused by the law. They were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So there's this new relationship. The reason that Jesus died, that our union with Christ brought us to die to the law, is so that there can be this new relationship Way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let me just pray for us, and we'll take a look at this. Father, help us today to be able to understand your word well, and help us to be able to rejoice because of it. God, you you don't want us to just live lives of frustration that end up leading to lives of futility. You sent your son so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be freed to live lives that are full and complete. So Lord, would you help us to see that in your word today? And then would you help us to embrace that today? Lord, would you help us to be able to kind of offer that hope to each other today? Because that's what we need. Father, would you help us to come to you, to lean into you, to learn to love you? We pray it in your name. Amen. All right, so here we are. Let me remind you, in chapter 6 and chapter 7, we're picking up from verse 15. Paul, in this uh, chapter 6 and 7, especially here, what he wants to do is he wants to unfold something that would help us to understand the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, which is what Patty Jean was singing about today. He wants us to understand that Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He wants us to understand that Jesus endured an infinitely terrifying punishment in our place in order to provide us with perfect righteousness. So now, what we saw last week, just to kind of summarize there, in verses 17 and 18, look at chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, he wants us to to, um, see that there's this transformation that's happened inside of a believer's life. He wants us to see what was true of us and what now is true of us. So let's look at verses 17 and 18 to summarize this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. So what were we? What was true? We were slaves to sin. Okay? But look at what has happened. He says, Those, you, you once were slaves of sin. You have become... Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That standard of teaching, like we said last week, is the gospel, this freeing work of what Jesus has done for us, okay? And having been set from sl- free from sin, what was true, we were slaves to sin, right? You have become slaves of righteousness. How many of you feel like that this week? And yet, what is absolutely true of a believer? I mean, do we do we recognize this? Do we do we see this? Do we feel this? Do we understand this? God gives us as his children new hearts. And those new hearts turn away from sin and actually seek after God. Now, remember, we looked at that new covenant, right, back in the beginning of August. We looked at, about, at the reality that God said, this is what I'm doing. That's why we celebrate communion, right? Because communion reminds us about this new covenant in, in our blood. There's this, in Jesus' blood, there's this new covenant, this rewriting of our hearts. This is good news for us. We used to live to be I don't know, like we prayed today, we used to live for lots of different things, didn't we? And, and like we said last week, not all these things were necessarily bad things. There's areas of sin that we live for where you sit there and go, man, that's bad. That is, that's horrible. When, when uh, you know, we live to destroy other people, we can admit, man, that's a, that's a horrible thing. But we also said last week, not all sin is doing bad things. It's living and treating things as if they are ultimate things. So so some of us want to be the fittest. Is it bad to be, I don't know, fit? No, it's not bad to be fit. But if I live to be fit, if, if that's my whole life and my whole goal, if that's what is utmost in my affections, what's the reality of that? At some point, am I going to be the fittest? No, I'm already not. You know, so I mean, this is all theoretical. We know this, okay? This is all conjecture, right? But just this week, you know, I was seeing something on Facebook and they had a picture of, uh, I think it was Raquel Welch, and they were talking about how some birthday that she had that was coming up. And I remember growing up, she was like the, the image of, of fitness, right? She was the image of beauty. And this whole thing was to kind of show, hey, look how beautiful she still is today. And, and uh but she looks older. Fair. Fair to say, right? And, and have you ever sat there and, and kind of looked? And I, I had another friend of mine, um, friends of my parents, and, and she posted something today. She said, we were sitting in a restaurant, we looked over, and we saw some other women, and we said to each other, in 10 years, that'll be us. Have you ever thought that? Where you look at it, and you go, hey, if I lived to be the fittest, what will be the result of this? At some point, my desire will not match with my capability and my being the fittest will fail me. If I make that ultimate in my life to be the fittest and I am not the fittest, in fact, what will actually happen? Let's just follow this to its logical conclusion. What happens to the fittest person? They die. They still die. And is there any greater failure that to put as the utmost, to live for that, and then to still end up dying? You've lost everything. We can't let that be our God. It's not worth living for because it will not sustain us. Now, other people sit there and go, well, that's good because I have no desire to be fit whatsoever. I must be really godly today because, boy, (laughs) he can't point at me. It's not my fault. But I was thinking through some other ists. Some people like to be the most in control. And if I live to be in control, what's going to happen? At some point, I will lose control. And I can seek it, and I can manufacture it, and I can go after it. But guess what? If I live for that as my God, as my goal... It will fail me. The wages, the payment of putting something up as the best and living for that is what? We find out in 23. It's death. So it's idolatry. And it leads to what? The wages of sin is death. It's, it's, it's that that thing will come to nothing. Nothing. So it's not that someone's going to kill you because you do it. Instead, it's the idea that we sit there and go, wow, if you end up seeking this, and in the end it, failures, it fails you and actually turns its back on you, then it is not worth living for. So, so control is one of those things. You might like to be the rightest. Or, or actually, I put in parentheses, usually the person who has to be the rightest is also the angriest, right? Because they like to be right about everything, and they tend to... Get angry at that point, okay? Or, or maybe, maybe the thing you prize yourself on the most is being the loneliest. Loneliest. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. There's an inverse pride that can be in there. Or, or maybe, maybe the most comfortable. Maybe the person who says, "Hey, I don't want to do anything that's great. I just want to sit down and do nothing. That's that, You know, I just want to be comfortable. I just, you know, I'll just wherever. Or, or maybe, maybe you want to be the best looking. There's lots of things that we pursue with our lives. But all of these will ultimately lead to the same, and ultimately you lose what you've given your life to. So isn't it good news that God said, I'm going to rewrite your heart so that your heart, instead of when it used to run after those things, I'm going to change your heart so that instead it goes after that which would actually be able to satisfy you for." ever, billions and billions and billions of unending years, and you would still look up at the end of those years and say, I could not be happier. What could I live for? Well, let's take a look at verses 22 and 23 in 6. But now that you have been set free from sin, notice the, notice the terminology here, because it's important for us to recognize the terminology Now that you have been set free. What kind of terminology is that? Past tense. Something has happened, believer. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is what? Eternal living. Not never-ending, not dying. Okay, never-ending, not dying just means that you never die. Vampires do that, I guess, or something like that, right? Is there something like that that's supposed to go on with that? People in hell, they never-ending, not die. This is life, okay? But he goes on in 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if we can hit that next slide, it just gives us a quick summary statement of this to remind us. God births in us heartfelt obedience to him. Now, why does Paul need to say this? Because he also knows that even though this is already true... It's not yet as true as it will be. There's still this battle that goes on inside my heart because there's still this part of me that sits there and says, yes, Jesus, I really love you, but if you could give me a new car, then I would really be happy. So there's still this rebelliousness. There's this willfulness. There's this part that goes against this. So we're not mitigating against that. We're not acting like that's not there. But what we are saying is, your nature, if you are a Christian, has fundamentally been changed. Your hunger, what you long for, has been changed. And what he's saying is, you're set free from needing control. You've been set free from needing comfort. You've been set free from needing to have uh, approval all of these types of areas we can actually live our life to be more dependent more loved we can live our lives to be closer to the one who has all the control and all the comfort and all the power and and all these things we can actually draw near to him we can be close to him and we can be in this open loving relationship with the God of the universe. Instead of having to be God, we've been set free to be able to rejoice in God. So that's massive. That's what chapter six is trying to show us. Now he's going to bring this further illustration in chapter seven, and I want you just to kind of see this. He builds his argument on something that people kind of know about, God's law and the marriage bond, uh, because they understood about marriage and they understood about this marriage bond that we talked about. And they understood that when death takes place in a marriage, um, it is uh, God approved for them to be able to remarry. Okay? So we, we've seen it here. We've loved it here. We've rejoiced with Ivan and Ralphine in the way that God has worked and said this is a good thing because of that um, Because of their situation. So God's created this beautiful, loving relationship that gives us great joy to get to witness. Okay? So what he's going to do is he's going to argue that in the same way, when a Christian dies with, with Christ, the law is not binding on the Christian anymore the way that it was. And that's why we are not under law. So then let's look again at verse 4 real quick here. The application of this. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Past tense. This is something that has happened. Right? You have died. He's not saying you can choose. He's saying that this is a result of your union with Christ. His death, burial, resurrection impacts us this way you have died to the law through the body of Christ um, so that you might belong to another to him who's been raised from the dead let's hit a couple phrases in this real quickly so we can see them what does it describe about Jesus what's one of the key things that I just read that describes about Jesus he who was what so what does that mean about Jesus he's alive so let's just make sure we don't piss skip that one all right, let's not just pass over that one, right? Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. And notice what was the, what's the reason right after that in order that we might be able to bear fruit, bear fruit to God. So, so here's this image of us, right, um, being connected to Christ. Here's us being... Um, Think of that vine, right? Connected. The, the branch is connected to the vine, and the life flows out of that vine, and we're the branches, right? And what happens to a vine that, that's alive, that's connected, that's, that's growing, that's rooted? What happens to that? Fruit starts to grow. Now, is the picture here that if we want Jesus to like us, we're going to go out and we're going to figure out a way to make sure it looks like we've got fruit on us? That way Jesus approves of us. When he walks past, he goes, hey, you know, that Scott Burke guy, he's a really good looking guy and he's got, he's got fruit all over him. And Scott sits there and, and I sit there and get jealous and I think, well, Scott, man, he's, he's got all sorts of fruit on his branches, but I don't have any on mine. So I go out, you know, it's apple season starting up here pretty soon. Remember Paul Tripp's illustration of this? It's apple season. I go down to one of the orchards. I grab a basket of, va- of apples, right? And what do I do? I take them and I, and I climb up into the, the branches of my tree, and I start, like, stapling apples up there. That way, when you drive past my house, you sit there and go, oh, he's got an apple tree. It's an oak tree, but it's got apples all over it. And, and, you know, that way you'll say, wow, he is really fruitful. That's the way it gets done with the law. The law sits there and says, you better have apples all over you. But that's not what this is describing, is it? What happens? And this is describing... Instead, that we are connected to the vine, right? And, and these branches come out, and because we're connected, because the, the, Jesus knows how to take care of us and protect us and to, to grow us, instead, fruit begins to show up from the inside out. My transformed heart, my transformed life becomes a place where fruit comes out. I don't, I don't think it's that we just sit there and go... You know, and try to squeeze out fruit out of ourselves. Instead, it's the sense that as we are connected, as we are uh, tied to him, the fruit begins to grow. So let's see if that's true. Let's look at verse 6, right? We're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. What's the source of the fruit? The Holy Spirit. There's this working of the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? It's not the law. So we're freed from the letter of the law. Remember, carved in stone on tablets, right? Or, or maybe written on paper. It's this external list of all the duties that press on my will and get me to comply where there is no heart to comply. That's what the law tries to do. Instead, there's this new way of the Spirit, and it's rewriting my heart, and it causes me to, to bear fruit. It, it flows out of that relationship with Jesus. And what's that relationship with Jesus here? If, if I, um, in, in this illustration, I was, I was, Married to the law, then Jesus died, so I was broken in that relationship with the law, was I free just to live any way that I feel like? What was I freed to do? What does it say? I was freed so that I could be married, verse 4, so that I could belong to another. I wasn't separated from the law so I could live however I feel like living. I was freed so that I could actually be married to Christ. So that I could move into that relationship with Jesus. So that I could be connected. So that I could draw deeper into that relationship. So let me just do a couple applications here. We'll wrap up. Number one, we need to be willing in our lives to admit just how willful and rebellious and stubborn we really are. Apart from the work of Jesus. Is that willfulness? Is that stubbornness? Is that rebelliousness gone? No. Will it be gone someday? Absolutely. Promise you, there is a day of restoration coming, and that's the story of the Bible, where, where I will be free from sin, from willful rebellion from self-centeredness, there's a day coming. But we need to be willing to see, to admit, to reckon that I still struggle with that rebellion, with that self-centeredness. I sure see it in my life. I don't know if you see it in yours. The second application of this, though, is We're really called, though, to count ourselves as dead to sin. There's this important role of being able to go into our lives and say, when sin raises up its ugly head, to sit there and say, you know what, I need to say no. I have the right, I have the authority to say no. I'm not going to give myself to something that can't give me life. So we're called to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ We're going to believe, we're going to bank on what he promised us. When he sits there and says, I can be enough for you. In that moment, I'm going to bank on that promise. Right? So um, we're going to trust that the new way of the Holy Spirit is going to work inside of us. It's going to help us see that we're dead to sin. And we're going to pursue what is absolutely true. Third application is when we do sin, what do we do? Yeah, we repent. We're not going to look at the law and say, wow, if I just did this or this, then that's what's going to finally fix me. I'm not going to say, okay, I have to do, I have to give an extra 100 bucks to the, to the offering this week. That'll, that'll fix up what I, what I did wrong. Or I'm not going to sit there and say, ah, oh, I'm going to go to, uh, you know, like, men's Bible study this week, that'll fix what's wrong. You know, that'll be payment. It's not a payment mentality. We turn back to Jesus, we repent, right? We turn back to him, we believe his promises, we know him, we lean into him, we trust him, we love him, we treasure him. We go back to the one that loves us. So I kind of thought of these questions just to wrap things up. Hard questions. But if you look over this last, say, let's go back to this year, all of us, you know, maybe at the beginning of the year made some resolutions. When you look back over this year, how have you seen sin put to death in your life this year? So there's a question. That's an evaluative question. Where are the areas that you've seen sin put to death in your life? We're we're probably not paying enough attention if we look up and say, oh, I haven't needed any. We're we're probably not being honest. So let me ask this other question, because this is another evaluative question. This is one that will help you to see kind of where your heart is at. How has the living sacrifice of Jesus moved you to love and trust him more this year? How has what Jesus did for you on the cross, how has that moved you this year? How has it moved you to lean in, to trust? Do you see areas of your life where you've been freed to give up sins that once promised you life, but they really only delivered disappointment and death, instead to cling to the forgiver and the leader and the treasure of your life? I sure hope so. I sure hope so you can. Where do we go with that? And we start simply to say, okay, Holy Spirit, if you're present in my life, would you show me some areas that you want to work on? I can admit I'm scared to death to let you work on those areas. But would you, I I don't want those things more than I want Jesus. Would you turn to him and ask him for that? Father, thank you for this day together today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. And I just want to ask that um, you would help us today. God, we want to see sin being put to death in our lives. God, we want to see um, instead more and more trust for you. So God, no matter how old we are, I pray that you would do that. God, I pray that you would help us as parents to make it our longing for our kids, that they would know and taste and experience more and more of Jesus. God, that we wouldn't bring them law, that we wouldn't try and fix them with shame, but instead I pray that you would help us to be able to point them to Jesus. And Lord, with our spouse, In the same way, God, would you make us patient to be able to love them? And would you give us voice to point them to who Jesus is? And would you let us live in a relationship with you in a way that we could do that? And if we're single, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to do that because we have friends and we have family members and we've got people that we're connected to, people who need us, people who love us, people who, who depend on us. Again, would you help us not just to call them to live out the law? Instead, would you help us to be able to walk with them and point them to Jesus in this church family? So, Lord, that's what we want to do. Help us to learn how to bring each other instead of that old way of the law. Help us to be able to bring each other to that new way of the Spirit to hope and to good news. God, it's good news that there is hope for every single person that's here. There is new, bigger, open life. And if I can get in on it, any of us can. So, Lord, thank you. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.